I want to answer this question today. What roles do we play in a transformative community? Hello and welcome again to another episode of this teaching series that we called A Band of Disciples. And congratulations, this is our last uh, episode uh, in this particular mini-series. So far, we have been looking at, uh, you know, the, the discipling uh, calling the discipling community, and starting from next episode, we're going to look at the discipling competency. And through this mini-series, we have been uh, attempting to convince you that a community of disciplers reveals and shapes disciples and disciplers. We've been trying to focus on this metaphor of, uh, you know, music bands. And we suggested that being, ba- being part of a band has significant and profound impact on band members. Uh, it, it, it reveals their potential and shapes their future. And uh, we've um, attempted to clarify from uh, biblical evidence, from educational evidence, and even from our experiential learning that being part of a community has profound impact on people. But you're probably sitting there and saying, you know, I've, I've now know the why. I even heard about some of the how, but I want to put my hand up and say, you know, maybe I have been in a community before, but it didn't work out. Not every community, not every band, not every team has a positive impact on revealing our uh, you know, dormant potentials and shaping the trajectories of our lives. And I could absolutely agree with you. You know that I'm not that musically uh, orientated, but as a primary school uh, student, I, um, I joined at a very young age, I joined our worship team at our traditional church. Um, you know, uh, please don't uh, visualize us as, as a group of groovy band members with uh, torn jeans and guitars and drums and, and violins and solists and, and all that type of jazz. Uh, on the uh, contrast to that, uh, you could visualize us as a group of young and old uh, males who were dressed in a white gown uh, you know, uh, utilizing a primitive type of musical instruments like the cymbal or the triangle. And we would be singing, uh, you know, facing the altar, facing the front of the church, giving our back uh, to the congregation and singing in a language that we didn't fully comprehend. Um, it, was, it was a tough gig, to be honest, but uh, as a young, a young man, uh, it 
was so much fun. We did that every single Friday, and our uh, church service lasted for maybe four hours. Uh, you know, it was it was a long, a, a long, um, a long time to be a worship uh, a worship member of a band, <laughs> and it was so extensive that it required um, testing and auditioning before you were ordained a deacon, which is uh, the, the band. And then it required ongoing uh, professional development for all uh, the, the band members. And uh, I remember that we had a class every Friday after the church service for about a couple of hours in a stuffy classroom, uh, you, you know, learning, uh, learning um, uh, you know, tunes, uh, church, traditional church tunes, as well as studying the, the language, the traditional uh, language uh, that was foreign to my mother tongue. It was very similar to to Greek language. And uh, anyway, I was the youngest in the group and I probably preferred to be out with my other friends who were playing soccer in the street <laughs> than sit and learn, uh, you know, all these tunes and a language that was fully uh, over my head. But, uh, you know, my parents anticipated that I was there. So I, I did the right thing and I stayed in the classroom. The first half of the session uh, was usually taken uh, by uh, a teacher who taught us tunes. He had an unbelievable voice. He was actually a medical student at the time, had a beautiful voice, like genuinely, um, you know, he was talented and um, he would teach us with courtesy and kindness. He was so sincere. And, and, and was so homey and friendly. Uh, and then the following hour uh, was, um, you know, we were taught by another uh, guy who taught us that language, the ancient language. He was everything the opposite to the previous teacher. Uh, he was very rough. He was harsh. He was very serious about the task more than the students. And, um, and uh, there was no mucking around in the time where he was leading uh, our, uh, our session. And you could hear him coming in the middle of our first session. You could hear him uh, walking up the stairs with his jeans uh, and, you know, uh, with his shirt uh, uh, and also you could hear every step that he takes, you could hear. He had a, a humongous uh, key chain with lots and lots of keys. I don't know what he did after hours, but he had lots of keys. Uh, anyway, he would come and begin to, uh, to teach us in, in due course. And as soon as he started talking, all my academic insecurities and my, 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 you know, I was telling myself, I, I just don't understand this language. Just, you know, he was talking grammar and I couldn't even understand my mother tongue, let alone some foreign language. And I was often switched off, mucked around with the people around me, joked around, and he just didn't like it. He had a classroom management set of three steps. You talk like, I talk, he yells. <laughs> the second one, I continue to talk, he throws chalk at me. You know, the chalk that he writes on the, uh, on the blackboard back in the day. He would throw them uh, at me. In fact, if I continued to talk, one time I continued to talk and laugh, he undid his chain of keys 
and with ferocity, he threw it at me like you throw a cricket ball. And somehow, miraculously, I ducked. But guess what? Behind me was a cupboard with a huge um, uh, you know, shelf of glass. He broke that. The joke was on him. <laughs> But the truth is this, as the glass shattered, I knew our relationship went the same way. And from there on, it was Friday that that we met for the class. And from there on, as soon as he entered the class, he would say to me, Friday, he called me Friday because obviously I ruined his Fridays. He said, Friday, out he get. And he would kick me out this time before I even said hello. And uh, I, you can imagine uh, the impact, the positive impact this experience had on Friday. Uh, he didn't really like Friday anymore. But, um, you know, the reality is other students, other members in our group loved the session. Many of them did, didn't just become great deacons, but some of them became teachers of that particular language and others became uh, church leaders, uh, pastors, priests. Can you believe that? Said so that group actually shaped them for a lifelong endeavor but it didn't impact me, at least not positively. I recall maybe 25 years later after I you know, completely had migrated from Egypt um, and this particular teacher uh, happened to also migrate about 20 or 25 years later to the same city in Australia. And I happened to meet him and, 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 um, and you know, I was married. So I introduced uh, my wife to him. And as soon as he saw me, he said, oh, how are you, Friday? He still hadn't forgotten my name was Friday, which means I had ruined his Fridays. And then he began to retell my wife that I was, you know, a nightmare of a student in his class. And he said he was a donkey. <laughs> So you can imagine the impact that this particular experience had on him and had on me. Obviously, it didn't have a positive impact on shaping who I am unless you think I became a first-class donkey. Uh, Other than that, it didn't really change me. The same environment that changed some of my friends was a negative influence on my experience uh, with this particular, uh, you know, trajectory of being a certain kind of person. So what actually needs to happen in a group environment that makes it transformative? You know, how could a community reveal and shape disciples and disciplers? What is, what is the main thing that we need to do in order to see that take place? I want to answer this question today. What roles do we play in a transformative community? What roles do we play in a transformative community? community. We uh, essentially are saying that you cannot just be transformed by being part of a band, of 
a community. There are various roles that need to, uh, you know, combine together to facilitate this transformation. My teacher had a role. I had a role. The, the, the group members around me had a role. And unless they combine together in the same direction, a transformation is uh, rarely Possible And the roles in a transformative community of disciples uh, have uh, three primary players, if you like, if we call it that way. The first ultimate significant uh, role and player is God himself. You know, we see uh, throughout the scripture that says that, uh, you know, uh, Paul as, as um, you know, a minister, he says, I planted, someone else watered, but God gave the increase. And we'll read in 2 Corinthians 3.18 uh, that the process of transformation happens uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit. So the reality is God must be active and allow the opportunity that we open ourselves up to the Holy Spirit to do the work of transformation in us. We can't manufacture this uh, basically because we have some educational expertise. We can't manufacture this because we are activists or, or full-hearted, committed to transformation. Uh, from a biblical perspective, a community is transformed first because of the activity of the Holy Spirit. That is the primary factor in any transformation. Then the disciple has to play their part. So my teacher uh, in that worship band, uh, he might have been exceptional. Obviously, he was very talented. Otherwise, those other uh, kids wouldn't have progressed in their love uh, for that particular uh, vocation. So he was talented, but I wasn't. I wasn't willing. I didn't have that desire. I didn't participate in the process. And that's why the scripture makes it clear in the book of Philippians chapter 2 and verse 13 that we need to collaborate with God's spirit. God is working in us to will and to do, and we need to work on the outside what he's working on the inside. We often say it this way. We say that God has given us potentials. He's given us qualities and attributes that is the DNA of Jesus. We become participators in divine nature. That's what's lying dormant within us. So we need to collaborate with the Spirit to live out what God had deposited within you with me? So we have a role to play. The third uh, component in, in a transformative community is the members of the community. They play a significant part. Jesus, as we have shared throughout this series, brought the 12 to be with him. He didn't just uh, interact with them one at a time. There was membership in a community and every person had a role to play to support other members. Within that community, uh, there could be a discipler like Paul was in all the different communities, like Timothy. He instructed Timothy to be a discipler in the churches uh, that he was, um, you know, delegated the responsibility to lead them and disciple them, much the same as Titus and others. So we have a role that the community plays 
and uh, uh, we, we, we got to come on board uh, for that to happen. So I'm going to walk you through uh, a passage in the scripture and in a letter written by Paul to highlight uh, that to these Christians in Colossae, in the letter to the Colossians, and, and chapter 3, Paul uh, alludes to those uh, three primary roles that need to combine together for us to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus, the new creation to actually find, uh, you know, um, manifestation through the way we live our lives. The first one is God. God deposits and activates a divine nature within every genuine believer. Please, please Please don't miss this. No one can ever grow without being united to Christ because that deposits a nature that wants to grow to be like God, wants to grow to display the character traits of Christ. But without that nature, we're dead. We can't do anything that can honor God or blesses others. So the number one priority is that we are born again by the power of the Spirit, are united to Christ. Born again is not, uh, you know, a, a, a code for just give God your sin and receive forgiveness. That's transactional type of salvation. But transformation is what we are taught in the New Testament teaching that we actually become united. We are in Christ. I think there's about 160 mention of the word in Christ to designate believers. We are united. We are in union with Christ. So this is the first thing that must be so evident in our groups. Not just people come together, but people who have union with Christ because of the uh, Holy Spirit. And this is what it says in Colossians 3, 1 to 4. Uh, Paul says, since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears... Then you also will appear with him in glory. Very simply stated, Paul's about to instruct the believers to live a life in according to, uh, you know, the call of God over their lives. But he's establishing everything that will, they will do, they will be instructed to do in the reality of the union. He's saying, you have been raised with Christ. You have been united to Christ. You are seated with Christ. And you know what? Your life is even hidden with Christ in God. Your life, you don't even know who you really are because your life is so hidden in the reality of Jesus' being. You see, we get to see who we are over time and we will see the reality of who we are in Christ when Christ appears again. So the first thing we need to be totally and utterly basing our transformation process on union with Christ by the power of the Spirit. The second thing that I wanted to bring to your attention is the role of the disciple. Disciples participate in the process of transformation through Spirit-directed practices and reflection. 
and we mentioned all of that when we talked about the, the diamond of transformation. We talked about the desires. We talked about our experiences. We talked about reflection on our experiences. And we talked about our nature. And here, this speaks of our experiences and our reflection. We do that as we're directed by the Holy Spirit. Look at how Paul puts it in Colossians 3. He says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. The first notice here, Paul is saying, you put to death. He's saying you have to play your part. You put to death the way you used to live, the, the way you used to interact, the way you used to desire things. You need to put to death. You need to play your part. You know, the concept that people say, you know, let go and let God is actually unbiblical. We have to play our part. In the book of Romans, I believe in chapter 8, it says, by the Spirit put to death the misdeeds of the flesh. It's, it's by the Spirit, but you play your part. The Spirit is going to enable us, but we have to collaborate with it. We have to be intentional in what we do. We can't just say, I'm going to grow. I'm going to become more like Jesus by sitting down on the couch and having popcorn. That's not necessarily going to bring you to a, a, a further likeness to Christ. Look at what Paul says in Philippians 3. He's saying that he presses on, he participates in the process. Again, Colossians 3, 8 to uh, 10, uh, it gives us uh, another perspective uh, to, to, to this. It says, but now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which I would dare say the new self with its new practices, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. So what Paul is saying, you put off old practices and you put on new practices. You put off the old practices of the old self. You put on the new practices of the new self in Christ, the one that's united to Christ. Because how many of us know that inside of us, we have almost like two possibilities, two desires, two ways of living. And he's saying, when you are confronted with life's experiences and problems, reflect back on your assumptions and figure out, is these practices and these experiences and these uh, desires and appetites that I have, are they, uh, are they springing from an assumption that is um, connected with uh, God or alienated from Christ? Uh, what, what's, what's motivating me to live that way? So the disciple has a role to play in the practices that they embrace and in reflecting on what are the assumptions that I have that causing me to live in this particular way of life. Christianity is a walk with God. It's not just a decision. It's a walk with God and every disciple that wants to grow needs to participate in the process. Then the community. 
The community is the, the third player that has a role to play. The community reveals and shapes the members through shared purpose, practices, and authentic partnerships. We mentioned that in a previous episode. I just want to go over it very quickly. A community reveals our potential and shapes our future. And the community does that by the way we embrace uh, God-honoring purposes that unify us together. Uh, we, we, we embrace shared practices that will help us become better uh, disciples and disciplers. And we, we also learn from one another and encouraged by one another, supported by one another, and it's challenged by one another. That's true partnership. There is a relationship that is intimate and connected that facilitates that type of transparent partnership that, that brings the best out of us. It's not just patting people on the back all the time. It's actually living together in such a proximal way with honesty and transparency that we can call one another and encourage one another up. Look at what Paul says in, in Colossians 3, 12 and 14. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you and overrule these virtues put on love, which builds them all together in perfect unity. I don't need to explain this. I just wanted to highlight that if you look at the word bear with each other, forgive one another, and the word grievances all encompasses with the, 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 um, under the umbrella of showing love to others, it helps you see that as we embrace a, an authentic, intimate partnership with God's people in a community, we're going to annoy each other. So we need to bear with one another. We're going to wrong one another. So we need to forgive one another. We're going to be so annoying that we create grievances against one another. And, and that's when love embraces the, the reality of our messness <laughs> and our relational um, you know, difficulty and allows us uh, to, to create an environment of unity uh, is speaking the truth in love so that we can see development and progress and transformation. Each member plays their role, especially the leader. You know, uh, we, we see also in the next couple of verses in Colossians uh, that it says, Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Can you see that the community, when they're together, they got to teach and admonish one another. It's not just bearing with one another, forgiving one another and loving one another. It's also, you know, stirring one another up for love and good deeds. It's teaching one another to live out the life of Jesus, the doctrines that enable us to walk uh, uh, orthodox ways, and also the wisdom that allows us to be practical in implementing a life that honors God. You know, we need both understanding and living with wisdom. So I want to share with you finally the role of the discipler, who's obviously part of the community. A discipler has a significant role to play in the community 
And that role demands developing discipling competencies. The discipler need to build expertise build, and develop skills so that they can help uh, that community thrive. Just like my teacher uh, in my worship band experience uh, could have uh, maybe built different capacities and, and, and classroom management skills to not alienate me, but to bring the best out of me. So I'm not graduated as a donkey, but maybe graduated as a, as, as a proper worshiper uh, of Jesus. And we're going to spend the entire next series to talk about developing practically your competencies as a discipler. But I want to just share with you one concept that could be helpful, and that is how to develop your discipling skills in the meantime. How do you develop your discipling skills now and ongoingly? And I'm going to share with you three brief concepts. Engage in a community, learn with and from others, Explore resources, diverse approaches to discipling, and commit to practice discipling. Uh, you know, you do something, you reflect on it, you amend your actions, and so on. So a community might be a group of people that you know who are engaged in discipling. Uh, it, you know, be with them, immerse yourself with them. Maybe, maybe um, you know, connect with a mentor that you know they live wholeheartedly for Jesus and they have had some experiencing in discipling. Learn from them, catch up with them either regularly or every now and again. Maybe have some interviews with people that you know have had a really good experience with discipling, glean ideas from people, will learn collaboratively. Resources, find uh, opportunities for training, uh, find some books, read some articles, engage in, 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 in regular reading. You know, they say leaders are readers. You need to continually grow and develop so that you can uh, progress in your skill uh, 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 development. Uh, then finally, uh, plan for improvements in what you do. Don't just say, I'm going to disciple this way. This is just the way I know it, so I'm just going to do it. That's a lazy thing to say. You know, it's just because you've done it all the time like this. Think what other ways, even one percenters, uh, one little thing here and there that could improve uh, your discipling skills. And we're going to focus on very specific things and very specific, address very specific questions that most disciples in our community and our team, uh, you know, stumble across them. And we hope that we can provide you with some ideas and tips and inspirations to be able to practically disciple others in community so that they can be transformed and multiplied. Thank you so much for your investment in this discipling identity that you know God has for you. Your investment of time, your investment in people, your energy. We just cheer you on and we pray for you and trust God to use you powerfully and to make a difference through your life as you work with a community of like-minded disciples who want to get better at living like Jesus and helping other people to live like Jesus in the world. And can you imagine communities like that in every neighborhood? What would our city look like? 
What would our neighborhood look like? What would our nation look like? Indeed, what would our world look like? Maybe your investment in a single community can bring about incredible revival, grassroot revivals. And we pray in the matchless name of Jesus that He would take you places you never dreamt of for the glory of God and the good of His people. Thank you so much for being with us. Looking forward to being with you in the next episode as we commence our third mini-series, and that is Discipling Competencies. Until then, be utterly blessed in Jesus.